This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, July 7th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Why the U.S. COVID vaccination rate is stuck. Plus, could a smartphone alert solve short-term energy crises? But first, today's one big thing. What's left behind as the U.S. exits Afghanistan. Early Monday, the Taliban took over at least six key districts in northern Afghanistan, continuing a military advance that's been happening for weeks. A reminder, U.S. and NATO troops are meant to withdraw fully by September 11th. Speaking to ABC News this weekend, General Austin Scott Miller said the U.S. withdrawal is starting to create conditions that could put the country at risk. Hope actually matters and morale actually matters. And so as you watch the uh, Taliban moving across the country, uh, what you don't want to have happen is that the people lose hope and they believe they now have a foregone conclusion uh, presented to them. Zach Basu has been following the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is here now to catch us up on all of these stories. Hey, Zach. Hi, thanks for having me. The U.S., as I said, is scheduled to fully withdraw, not until September 11th, but this withdrawal has already started. Can you tell us what the latest is on how that's affecting events in Afghanistan? Sure. So uh, on Friday, the U.S. vacated Bagram Air Base, which has been the epicenter of its military operations in Afghanistan for the past two decades. And they actually left reportedly in the middle of the night. They didn't even tell the Afghan commanders that they were leaving. So this is really the most significant sign yet that U.S. involvement in Afghanistan has, for all intents and purposes, come to a close. And then on Tuesday, the Pentagon announced that 90 percent of the withdrawal has been completed. And meanwhile, how is what's the Taliban been doing during all of this? So the Taliban began launching this military offensive on May 1st, and th- the situation on the ground is is really grim. According to one estimate, the Taliban has taken control of more than 120 of Afghanistan's 407 districts since May 1st, including 38 in the last six days alone, which sort of underscores just how rapid and effective the Taliban has been on the battlefield. What does that mean for the Afghan government? So U.S. intelligence officials have warned that the Afghan government, which has always been fragile and uh, plagued by corruption, could collapse within six months of the U.S. withdrawal. Uh, And the top U.S. general in Afghanistan, General Miller, has warned that the country could be on the path to a chaotic civil war if it continues on this current trajectory. Uh, And he said this is something that, quote, should be a concern for the world. What has the Biden administration said? So Biden on Friday was asked whether the U.S. would provide air support to the Afghan government if it was needed to keep Kabul out of the hands of the Taliban. And he gave sort of a vague answer about how the U.S. will continue to support the Afghan government, but that it's ultimately up to their security forces to defend themselves. And and to be fair, Biden has always been a skeptic of U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. And I think the way that he views it now is that we've been there for 20 years. The war needs to end at some point. And if not now, then when? Right. So as America's longest war ends, Zach, what are you watching for next? I think you're really going to start to see more pressure from members of Congress, especially Republicans, 
for Biden to explain what his plan is if the Afghan government collapses and the country falls into this chaotic civil war. And so this potential for scenes like we saw in Vietnam in 1975, you know, the fall of Saigon, that was something that really spooked President Trump out of fully withdrawing from Afghanistan. So it'll be interesting to see how Biden responds to this pressure. Actually, this is Zach Basu. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. In 15 seconds, we're back with President Biden's take on where we're at with COVID vaccination rates. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. President Biden missed his goal to have 70 percent of the adult population vaccinated with at least one dose against COVID by July 4th. That should now happen by the end of this week, but no one's celebrating just yet, as vaccination rates have slowed way down all across the country. Here's what President Biden said about it yesterday. We can't get complacent now. The best things community can do to protect themselves is to increase vaccination rates. Let's finish the job. Finish it together. Axios Healthcare Editor Tina Reid is here to tell us why the U.S. vaccination rate is stalled and if we can indeed finish this job. Hi, Tina. Hi, Nella. Thanks for having me. Tina, this is nothing new we've heard from President Biden, what he said yesterday. But is the federal government now changing its approach to getting people vaccinated? So estimates of herd immunity have been adjusted upward from that 60 to 70 percent target that has been talked about a lot to 80 percent more recently. And as we heard, President Biden was all but begging people get this vaccine. And we're really seeing a drop in the number of people heading to these mass vaccination sites. So he was talking really about shifting to more targeted efforts, such as uh, distributing vaccines through doctor's offices, pharmacies, pediatricians, mobile clinics and employers. And it really it, it's going to get more targeted now because it has to. Could this result in mandates around vaccinations? So what I've been hearing from experts is that the idea of employer mandates are probably coming. And one of the reasons we haven't seen those is because even though the EEOC has said that it would be allowable, most employers are reluctant to require a vaccination that is still under emergency use authorization. So they're really sticking with uh, using incentives rather than requirements. Do we know when that EUA may be lifted? We don't. There's a number of people who feel hesitant just because they hear that emergency use authorization and it makes them leery of getting the vaccine, even if it doesn't make that much of a difference. Exorcist Healthcare Editor, Tina Reed. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Nyla. Okay, so you know those piercingly loud emergency alerts you sometimes get on your phone? I got one last week for a tornado warning here in D.C. Sometimes they're amber alerts. Well, a few days ago, New Yorkers got a new one. I'd never seen anything like this before. I mean, I it said instantly that New York City is urging all households and businesses to limit energy usage immediately to prevent power outages. And that meant avoiding the use of energy intensive appliances like washers or dryers and especially limit unnecessary use of air conditioning, which, given the fact it was almost 100 degrees, pretty much all air conditioning use felt pretty necessary at that time. That's Axios' Brian Walsh, a New York resident and one of the millions who got a smartphone alert as heat spiked in the city, straining the power grid. And the amazing thing is this alert worked. Brian, how well did this work? I mean, this came out at 
4.15 p.m. last Wednesday, and you could see actually energy consumption dropped almost immediately. And that time of the evening is when you see power spike. And so people saw it, and like I did, they, they responded. They turned their AC down, and the grid kept on going. Do you think these push alerts could be the future of mitigating these short-term energy crises? I definitely think they could be. You know, other areas like California, for instance, will send out what are known as flex alerts. So tell you, okay, between these hours tomorrow, you should reduce your power use. But something like this that shows up in your phone, it's very loud and intrusive, really gets your attention. And it really worked, at least this time. Axios' future correspondent, Brian Walsh. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Before we go, a little piece of presidential history in the making today. Former President Jimmy Carter and former First Lady Rosalind Carter are celebrating their 75th wedding anniversary. So not only is Jimmy Carter the oldest living president at 96, but the Carters are now the longest married presidential couple in U.S. history. Here's a little of how they've stayed connected all these years, as told to PBS NewsHour. I think we give each other space and we try to do things together. We're always looking for things we can do together, like birding and fly fishing. And We also make up and give each other a kiss before we go to sleep. That's it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts and axios.com. You can message me on Twitter or you can text me. My number is 202-918-4893. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.